outside on a clear morning, overlooking the horizon just before the sunrise. You cannot see clearly the, the color of the sky. It's dark. It's, there's outlines of the landscape around you, but darkness still controls the environment. You can feel the air is beginning to change. The air that was once cool and crisp is beginning to warm up ever so gradually as the sun approaches the horizon. The sounds of the birds, they begin to chirp around you. The rustling of leaves begin to be heard as the morning breeze picks up. The sky starts to change colors ever so slightly. At first, the sky is dark, a deep blue, almost black. But as the sun hits the horizon and comes closer, suddenly the rays of light begin to burst forth through that darkness and the sky gradually becomes a lighter shade of blue, eventually transitioning into pink, orange, and even yellow. And the colors become soft and delicate as if the sky is slowly waking up from a deep, long sleep. As the sun rises above the horizon, the light becomes brighter and warmer, and the sky becomes this beautiful shade of golden yellow. The light begins to shine upon everything around you, casting long shadows on the ground and highlighting the textures of everything around you. You can feel the warm sun upon your skin. The light is so bright close your eyes you can still feel that light penetrating your body the breaking forth of the horizon is one of the most beautiful and transformational moments full of color warmth and life that happens every single morning when we wake up and Genesis 1 and 5 says this and God called the light day in the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. I want to continue what I started last week, the evening and the morning. In Genesis 1 and 3 until Genesis 1 and 34, those chapters, almost the entire chapter in fact, is the six days of creation. It's each and every day God hovered over the earth. His spirit moved, and according to verse 2, the earth was formless, it was void, and it was full of darkness. So each, individually, in each individual day of the six days, the Lord got personally involved. He hovered his spirit over the earth. He spoke to the chaotic environment or atmosphere. He declared light and life and order to go forth into abundance. And he declared the things that were not as though they were, and it transformed everything. You see, when there's the combination of the moving of God's spirit, along with God's word being declared over a situation, it releases that supernatural power that only God possesses. And we see it in chapter 1. 
in the six days as God loosed his creative power upon the entire earth, taking what was dead and transforming it into a planet of life that can sustain life and multiply life and reproduce life. What could not produce anything suddenly after six days of God moving and God molding and God speaking and God creating, all of a sudden you have a planet of life, life on the land, life in the sea, life in the, in the air, and what's more, it sustains life. Life produces life, a beautiful, wonderful, incredible planet that really is unique in the universe. At the end of each day, the Lord declared the same statement, and it's what we read in verse 5, in the evening and the morning were the first day. So God would declare light out of darkness, or God would declare the, the atmosphere of the waters in the atmosphere from the waters of the sea to be separated. Whatever God was doing in that day, he would declare it, and then he would make this statement, and the evening and the morning, or the first day, or second day, six days, six times, six statements, the exact same statement. And I want you to notice that when you have the setting of the sun and you have the evening, if, if you watched last night's sunset and then if you happen to be awake this morning when the sun rose and you check the clock, you'll realize on a normal day, it's, it's <laughs> you know, we lost an hour, but on a normal night, it's approximately the most 12 hours. It's not 24 hours. It's not a full time of a day that you would, would, you would you know, measure the day. Because the phrase is not about telling us a 24-hour period. It's not reflecting what a full day is. If he wanted to do that, he could do that easily. In fact, in the book of Leviticus, the same author, which is Moses, Describing the time frame for the evening in Leviticus 23 and 32, he says this. The time period of the Sabbath will be from evening to evening. Why? Because that's a 24-hour period. That would be a day. You're going to take this 24-hour period and you're going to celebrate the Sabbath. But Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, did not use evening to evening. He used evening to morning because God was not trying to identify 24-hour periods. In fact, he was trying to give us something more profound. He was focusing on the transformation. It went from evening to morning. It went from darkness, the darkness of the evening, to the light of the morning. It went from the chaos uh, and the disorder of the evening to the order and, and the clarity of the morning. It went from the deadness of the evening to the, the life that was giving in the morning. So God is showing in this verse that he is a transformational God. And I don't know where your life is this morning, but I'll tell you this. What God began with in the book of Genesis, God can complete in your life. He can do it. 
You say, but my life's a mess. I'm going to tell you, but God is greater than the mess your life is in. It does not matter the chaos or the darkness or the disorder or even the deadness of your situation. My God and your God is a God that's greater than the circumstances, and he wants to bring mourning into your life. He wants to do what's impossible unless his spirit and his word gets involved in your life. In verse 5, it's interesting. The Lord identifies the contrasting environments that are upon the earth. Look at it again. It says, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called it night. This is God giving identity. This is God naming it. This is God calling it out. He's saying, I want you to... I want you to understand, and I want there to be clarity about this. There is a difference between day and night. And so God identifies them. The day is for light. The night is for darkness. It's a stark contrast, and yet they're going to continue day by day being regular succession. Day is followed by night, which is followed by day, and so forth. At the breaking of the dawn each morning, the darkness will be scattered by the light. It will be pushed to the side. Uh, Look outside right now. I can see out the front doors. There is no darkness. The light has transformed what was once dark just a few hours ago. And yet, the darkness is not eternally banished. I can guarantee you unless the Lord comes back and things change awful fast today. That darkness will set when the setting of the sun occurs this evening. You see, God has divided the time. He's called light day and he's called darkness night. He's divided the time between light and darkness because it would be a daily reminder for you and I that live on this earth that this world has a mixture of both day and night of light and darkness. And there's changes all around us all the time, aren't there? I mean, there's times when you are standing on the mountaintop with victory. It's day in your life. You've got supernatural faith. I mean, you're going and you're praying hands on, uh, you're laying hands on people and praying for people that, um, you know, don't have any faith. But you've got faith and you're going to see it happening. And then there's moments of darkness when you barely wake up and you, you, you almost don't make it to church, but you drag yourself in and you're just sitting here and you're, you're dead inside. There is no faith. Because we live in a world where there's moments of light and there's moments of darkness. There's seasons. There's changes. Uh, there's the inside, ex- interior, exterior. It's all around us. There's light and there's darkness. I want to remind you, though, in heaven, in heaven, there is no darkness. In heaven, it's perfect and eternal light. There's no darkness at all. In Revelations 22 and 5, it says this, and there shall be no night there. There's not going to be the setting of the sun. There's not going to be light uh, or darkness, excuse me. There's not going to be darkness in which we got to turn a lamp on or turn light on. There's going to be no need of candles, the scripture says. And it even says no light from the sun will be needed. For the Lord God giveth them light and they shall reign 
forever and ever. It's speaking of the church with Christ. But in Revelations 2 and 23, it says the light is the glory of God. It's just God's glory in its essence. He is light. And in heaven, there is nothing that's going to stop the illumination of the glory of God from penetrating every single place uh, in heaven. There will be no darkness. There is no darkness, only light. And the contrast is in hell, it's utter darkness. Not even a flicker of light. Jesus refers to hell three times by calling it the outer darkness in the book of Matthew. Outer darkness. Could you imagine the darkness being so, so real and so strong that when you closed your eyes you could feel it? You know, in the book of Exodus, as darkness descended upon the nation of of, uh, Egypt, the scripture says they could feel the darkness. There is darkness that you can feel because it sucks the light. If you study a black hole, it's a natural phenomenon that now they're believing that in the center of every universe is a black hole. It literally is the one force that literally pulls darkness I'm excuse me, pulls light into darkness. This is, this is outer darkness. This is eternal uh, kingdom of darkness. This is what we refer to as hell. But in this world, it's a temporary world. So light and darkness both exist. They're a part of our everyday life. It's a constant struggle of going back and forth. It's a, it's a war of sorts. It's trying to dominate the environment of the earth, but I believe more than that of somebody's life. You see, darkness had engulfed the earth when we open up the scripture in verse 2, and yet God in verse 3 says, let there be light. And, and so there is a struggle between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light of, of what is going to dominate the atmosphere, the mind, the heart, the soul, the life of individuals as well as collectively the entire earth. God said, let the day be light, or let the light call day, and let the darkness call night, the evening and the morning, the first day. You see, God gets involved. And when God gets involved, everything begins to change. What was darkness, when God begins to move and God begins to speak, it moves from darkness to light. It goes from evening to morning. And I'm going to tell you, no matter where you are in your, in your life this morning, God wants to take you from evening to morning, and he wants to do a transformational work in your life. It, he said, from the beginning, this is what I do, and I want you to know you're more valuable than some planet, just the dirt on the earth. He died for you. He loves you. You're made in his image. He wants to move you to morning. And not the morning of crying, the morning of the sunrise. You know, when describing the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, the apostle Matthew describes the scene this way in, in Matthew 4 and 16. He said this, The people which sat in darkness saw a great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. I mean, it's so powerful. He's looking at the situation and he's saying, the people are in darkness. Now, these were Israelites. These were Jewish. This was uh, the region of of Galilee. This was Nazareth and, and these communities 
that were in the heart of Israel, they should not be sitting in darkness, and yet they sat in darkness. Spiritually bankrupt, not really knowing who Jesus was. And in essence, it's not just Israel, it's all of the world. They all sat in darkness because darkness seems to be the constant uh, uh, pull upon the earth God, what God creates all of a sudden darkness wants to swallow up but God comes as a great light and he begins to shine down upon the lives of them that sit in darkness so I've got great news for you this morning if you're sitting in darkness he's coming to shine his light upon your life and he's coming to spring some things up out of death he's coming to rejuvenate and re-inspire and, and plug some things back into your life that inspire life after all when God creates life he doesn't just create life but he creates life that both has and can sustain life and then can reproduce life this is what God does the apostle John describing the same thing in John 1 and 3 says this all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not you see darkness does not understand light at all start darkness is stubborn it clings to its old ways i'm going to stay the way I am i like the darkness don't turn on the light you see darkness is ignorant uh, it's there's guilt in darkness it's debased darkness perceives no application for the lights I don't need the lights in fact darkness rejects light darkness rejects instruction darkness rejects everything that has to do with the light I've watched people in their life just stubbornly push against the light they don't want God messing around in that area of their life they don't want God's commandments they don't want God's words they don't want to know what God says in fact they just want God to rubber stamp the darkness that they're sitting in for some weird and I would say perverse reason they enjoy sitting in their darkness and they want to identify themselves as the darkness of their situation when God wants to transform their life and bring them out of darkness give them a new identity a new life and say you're never going to be Jacob any longer but now you're Israel you are my son and daughter of Christ come out I want to give you a, I want to give you my light that's going to transform everything in your life and yet people like a blanket cover themselves in darkness because they don't understand the light in John 3 and 19 it goes deeper and he says this and this is the judgment that light has come into the world and that people loved darkness rather than light because their works were evil so it starts out as a not understanding but it moves to a love for the darkness I love sin I love the things of this world I love my drugs I love my my whatever my entertainment I love my life don't be messing with me preacher and telling me I can't who are you to judge see they love the darkness 
In fact, they loved the darkness so much that they could not handle the light walking with them. Why do you think they put him to death? Why do you think the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes couldn't stand Jesus walking among them? Because their hearts were evil. They loved darkness, so they must shut the mouth of the light. Put him on the cross. Shut his mouth. Put false witnesses on the stand. Why? Because they couldn't stand the light. You see, sin blinds and it justifies self. Sin gets angry and it gets overdetermined to remain what it is. Verse 20, John says this, For everyone who does wickedness hates the light and does not come to the light. Why? Lest his work should be exposed. The condemnation is in the heart. And I truly, I truly believe this. When you stand before God as you will someday. You know, they make caskets in every size. I've done funerals for babies. I've done funerals for, for, for children. It's heartbreaking. I've done children of every age, or funerals from every age. But even the oldest among us, it's still a very short life compared to eternity. And one day you're going to close your eyes in this life and you're going to open your eyes in the, uh, in the front of the Lord. And I'm going to tell you what's going to be examined, I truly believe, of the Lord is your heart. What's in your heart? What do you love? What do you want? What do you desire? And I'm not talking about some emotion. Because we can use the facade, well, God knows my heart. But the problem is God does know your heart. It's not whether God knows it, it's do you know it. It's not some general, you know, comforting phrase that, oh, God knows I love him as we, as we run after sin. Well, how does God know you love him? What's really there? If the heart loves sin and the heart loves the things of the world, then why would you cover it with a facade that's saying, well, I really love God? You see, it's just a mask. It's not real. It's like, it's like being filthy, dirty, covered in mud, but you cover yourself with, a, with, with, with maybe a coat that's clean. But once you open the jacket up, the filth is revealed. And I'm going to tell you, this is what God does. He comes to clean up the heart. He comes to transform and change the heart. He comes to give you a new heart. But if your heart loves sin, and this is the problem, as pastor, I try so hard every way possible. Bring the word of God. Preach. But I can't change a person's heart. If they love sin, sin will engulf them. It absolutely, it does not matter the service they're in. It does not matter the preacher that preaches this book. It doesn't matter how many times God moves in a sovereign way. If the person loves sin, then at some point they're going to forsake God. That's why Paul had to pen Demas, this young minister of mine, has forsaken me and went after the world, for he loves this present world. That's what he wrote. You see, people love sin because they love doing what they want to do. Don't put restrictions on me. Don't tell me what I can't do. If I want to do X, I'm going to do X. And, and, and so this is the way sin works. This is the lie, the big lie is this. You want freedom, go do what you want. But it's a big lie because as you run after your sin, you become a slave or a bondage to sin. And this is what God is saying. If your heart loves darkness, you're going to be a slave to sin and you're going to hate the light. But I've come as the light to, to bring mourning, to take you out of the shackles, out of the pain, out of the prison, and bring you into the light or into the mourning 
everything. Let the horizon begin to shine in your life so you can experience true freedom because I made you and I know what true freedom is. And true freedom is not sin. It's not. It's not. But people are stubborn, aren't we? <laughs> I can say that because it, you know, if the glove fits, you got to wear it. And uh, I need God to rip the glove off my heart because stubbornness is a real thing that we all have, isn't it? We're opinionated. We're stubborn. We, we see things our way and we think we're right, don't we? You know, there's a scripture in, in, in Proverbs says, there's a generation in their own eyes that thinks they're right. I'm paraphrasing. They're right in their own eyes, it says, basically. And I, I've thought about that scripture a lot, and I thought, well, what generation is God talking about? And then I realized he's talking about every generation. <laughs> it's all of us. The heart gets darkened, doesn't it? Because I'm going to tell you, if you push away from the light, all you have is darkness. If you push away from Christ, all you've got is this, uh, the, 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 the shackles of sin. There's no hope. My, my heart breaks for people that walk away from God. They walk away from the intimacy. They walk away from the revelations. They walk away from um, the beauty of, 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 of the transformation of the holiness in God. And they turn into something else. You see, I am what I am because of Christ. And if I were to walk away from Christ, I promise you I would turn into something else. Because something else would engulf me, a darkness. You see, God brings the best out in us, doesn't he? He takes the best that's in us and he magnifies it. He brings it to the surface. But when I begin to push away the light, I'm engulfed by darkness. Then the worst comes forth. I'm trapped by my own uh, wicked desires. And all of a sudden, it's the, it's the dimness of my eyes that are darkened. It's, uh, I can't see clearly like I once did. You see, we need the light. And that's why Jesus came. He knew they sat in darkness. So he came to be a light. And this is why he came. And light by its very nature illuminates things. It illuminates everything that's around you. When you turn the light on, it illuminates what's around us. And so as we come to Christ, Christ begins to illuminate some things in our life. Deep motives are, and these things are hard. I know they are because God's done them in my life. God begins to reveal deep motives that are there Deep desires, half-truths and lives, hypocrisies, areas of our life that are weak. You see, God begins to illuminate these things not to condemn us, but to transform us. How can we be changed if we think it's okay? If I'm already, if I'm already patting myself on the back saying, oh, I'm great, I'm wonderful, look at me. I've lived for God for all these years. But when I come to the light and God begins to illuminate things in my life and I realize, wow, you know, I still got a lot to, I mean, my journey, I've made some progress. I can, I can see where I've came from. I, man, I used to be really bad, but boy, I got a long way to go, don't I? I still got a lot of things in here to work on. But if God reveals it, then God's going to help you transform it. You see, he goes on in verse 21, he says, But whosoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen. In other words, if your hunger for God is real, if your hunger for the things of God is, is true, then you're going to run to the light. Not run away from the light, run to the light. You know, I was talking, I was talking to a gentleman and 
this gentleman may, has made this statement to me many, many times that um, the people of this generation are just not going to go to church. They want Jesus, but they're not going to come to church. And, and I do believe that we're going to have revival outside these four walls. I don't believe it's just going to be contained inside the building. But I was thinking, you know, John the Baptist was in the wilderness and the hungry people went to him. You see, when there's real hunger, and I was reading about the Asbury Revival, and 50,000 people went to Asbury, Kentucky. You see, when there's a real hunger, there, there's a transformation of pride. I will never step foot in that church until you're humble before God and you want to come to the light. And then you say, God, I don't care what they think of me or, or what, what, what I, well, the statements I made before. i got to get myself to an altar. I've got to get myself to a place where there's apostolic authority and apostolic music and apostolic demonstration. I've got to get into a place because I don't believe that statement is correct. While I do believe there's going to be great revival, people are going to be rushing to get around apostolic people because they want the come to the light. Why? So it may be clearly seen. Or in other words, there's going to be a clarity or or, or there, there's going to be a revelation, I guess you could say, of what is there and what is what is what they are and what God wants to do in their life. That's what we need in this hour. I know what the generation wants. I, it's very clear to me. The generation wants God, but they want their sin also. I want the Spirit of God to be strong and mighty in me, but I also want all of my cannabis and my alcohol and my drugs and my lifestyle. But that's a contradiction. You see, there's a separation. God called one night and he calls one day. They're not the same. But when you want to get out of the darkness and come to the light, and let me tell you, Jesus steps out of the light of heaven and he walked on this earth. In fact, he walked to the depth and the spirit of Golgotha where he prayed until he literally sweated blood. Why? He walked into darkness to grab a hold of us and bring us back into the light. That's what he does. He walked into the gutter of your sin to pull you out. My friend, he's not afraid to walk in the darkness. No, he will come into your darkness, into your brokenness to pull you out, to give you light. But once you come into the light, he wants to reveal to you what he wants to do in you. I'm going to tell you, God wants to transform you and he wants to do a work in you that's beyond what your old lifestyle and darkness was anything about. You could not comprehend it or see it or understand it when you're in darkness. But when you come into light, the Bible says, it clearly seen so that it can be carried out in God. God's going to accomplish it. God's going to do it. God's going to inspire it. God's going to help you. You're going to be dependent on him. You're going to lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways, you're going to acknowledge him as he leads you and guides you into the light, as he does a work that transforms everything around you. I'm telling you, it's real. It's real. It's real. I've seen it so many times. It happened in my life. I've seen it in the lives of a lot of you in this room. Because there's a spiritual contrast that Scripture is trying to teach us from the very beginning. You either love darkness or you love light. But since we live in this transformational world or this temporary world, we want it both ways. We want to love the darkness and love the light, but you can't do it. When you come to Jesus, you must truly come to Jesus. I mean everything, heart, mind, soul, everything. I, 
I have nothing. I, God, I have no, no, no other motive. I have no. I don't want to hold on to anything that this world has given me. I come to you empty and broken. I come to you hopeless and in despair. I come to you in the shackles of my own prison. But I know when I come to you, you're going to do a work in my life, and you're going to lift me up. You see, that is the moment that you lay yourself on an altar and you take up your cross and you truly become His. When you realize you don't have anything to offer Him, you come empty and hopeless before Him. He has everything to offer you. Everything. And as you lay there on that altar, I'm going to tell you what happens. The light begins to shine in your heart. (laughs) And this is hard because it's true. And those hidden parts of the heart begin to be revealed to you. See, God always saw them. It's not as if God sees it for the first time. God knows what's in there already. In fact, when he went, left the throne into the darkness of your life and pulled you out, he knew it was there. But he put you on the altar to illuminate it because he wants and he desires for your life to be prosperous and blessed. He wants you to go from evening to morning, from darkness to light, but there has to be some things that are transformed. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and 5, it says, Ye are the children of light and the children of the day. I love that. We are children of the light and children of the day. And it contrasts, we are not of the night nor of the darkness. That's not who we are. You see, I, I was thinking, and uh, every person has a unique ministry, I guess, in a sense. And I was thinking about my ministry. And I, I probably did something I should have do, done, but I listened to one of my own messages. And that's a rough to do. That's rough. It really is. Like done with them. Like, how does anybody listen to me? This is ridiculous. This is awful. I need to work on this, that, and all of these other things, right? <laughs> you ever listen to yourself? Have you ever watched yourself? It's a painful experience, isn't it? <laughs> Do I really sound like that? Do I really? Anyway, you're probably the most critical, you know, voice in your own life, I'm sure. Most people are. But I, I, I hope that one thing I desire is to be consistent and clear about one thing. It's that it's the word of God in your life must be followed, obeyed. It's not, it's not rules in the sense that you go to kindergarten and the teacher puts up rules and says, okay, class, you can't do this, 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 you got to do this. No, no. It's transformation that when I walk with God's word in my life and, I, and you do it and you, you begin to each and every day implement these things in your life, it opens a door to a new life. I, I truly hope that I teach and I am clear that the more you implement God's word in your life, the more blessing you're going to receive. Because I watch people, I've watched people and it, they get frustrated because they try to live for God and they do the best they know how to do. But they don't understand why they have these areas in their life that seem not to be blessed. And they ask this question, where is God? But when you step back, in other words, it's God's fault. This is kind of this, this is, this is the unspoken saying, it's God's fault. I have these areas that are not blessed, so God's fault. I've been living for him for 15, 20 years. Why is this area not blessed? But when you step back and you look at the big picture, what you almost always will find is this. That that area of their life that's not blessed... They were not applying God's word in it. 
In fact, they were doing what they wanted to do. They followed their own opinion. They were taking the philosophies of this world and the philosophies of their own mind and they implemented it in this area of their life. And so of, as they sowed the seed, they reaped the harvest and their harvest is bleak and it's dead. And then they say, God, where are you, God? And Satan comes in and says, look, God didn't do that for you. But I'm going to tell you, as you take God's word, which is a seed that has life in it, and you begin to put it in the ground that is, that is made of uh, uh, you know, tilled up and made ready for the seed, it will produce a harvest of blessing in your life. And the more areas in your life that you begin to put God's word and apply God's word, the more areas of blessing that are going to spring up in your life because this is how God works. It wasn't one moment or one day. It was six days of creation. So God is showing us, I can fix this area of your life with my word as my spirit hovers and my word is spoken. But then you need to let me touch this this area and then when I touch this area then you need to let me touch this area day by day the spirit hovers the word speaks and different parts of your life go from death to life from evening to morning to to bleakness and despair to hope and joy it's when you get the combination of God's spirit and God's word working in your life now, I'm going to say this. You do need self-discipline on some level because I, I want to show you the contrast in 1 Corinthians 9 and 27. It says this. Paul says this. But I keep my body and bring it under subjection. <laughs> now, I, I've been fighting this battle for a while now of, of trying not to eat so much sugar. It's like I'm one or the other. Like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there, scoops of sugar in my mouth, you know, with a cup of you're supposed to measure it out and put it in the, in the cake, and I'm just eating it, you know. <laughs> Give me sugar. Ah. <laughs> to, to, to not eating any sugar. Or I just cut myself off. I'm like, nothing. You're not having any. Other than what's just in stuff. I, but no, no, no artificial sweeteners, no desserts, no candy, all this stuff. Even my coffee, no sugar in it, nothing. It just disconnect. So I go to the extremes. And it's one or the other. I, I can't find this medium balance, it seems like. <laughs> Since I eat a little sugar, I need more, I need more, I need more. <laughs> I just eat one M&M, then two m and then one package. And then I, I got the family package, you know. <laughs> you, know how, you know how it works. And I was just going to eat one. <laughs> but at some point, after I've had my M&M binge, you know, I wake up and I realize this. I must bring my body into subjection. I don't care if you want sugar. You're not having any. Because you haven't, <laughs> I'm speaking to myself now, you haven't proven to me that you can control it. <laughs> so on some level, we must use willpower, self-control. It does matter what you bring in your house. People say, it doesn't matter. I can fill my... Shelves up with M&M's, it won't bother me. Oh, really? <laughs> now, I like to use food as an analogy because we, we can all identify. But what about sin? What about sinful things? What about what's on your phone or what's in your, what's, you know, what, what, what's in your house that's just naturally there? You see, it would be foolish to say that I'm never going to clean up my house. 
but I'm going to live for God because there's going to be those moments of weakness. So I must bring myself in the subjection and that means I'm going to clean some things out. I'm going to get out. I'm going to throw out the M&Ms. I'm going to throw out the things that pull my spirit down, the things that depress me, the things that bring me hopelessness, the things that bring me addiction, the things I'm going to get rid of it because those are the things I can do. But then I need more than my own power because everybody knows you can have willpower and it can work until it doesn't work, right? It like runs out. It's like gas in a car. Something else needs. And so Paul in Galatians 2 and 20 gives the other side of the coin. It says, I am crucified with Christ. This is putting yourself in the subjection. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. You see, I need more than my strength. You need more than your strength. I think we live in a world where we're trying to do it all. We think we can handle it. I'm just going to be superwoman or superman, but it's not going to work. You're going to hit a wall. And I've watched people, when they hit that wall, bam, they start questioning everything. Well, God, God's not with me. God's not here. I just can't do it. Uh, I'm not like you. I can't live a spiritual life like you live. Pastor, I'm sorry, I can't do it. And I'm going to tell you, it's all a big lie because you were depending on your own power when you needed God's power. You needed God's strength. You needed the Spirit of God. And this is what Paul says in Romans 8. After he talks in Romans 7 about how the struggle is so real, in, in chapter 8, verse 1, a continual thought, he says this, Now there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but walk after the spirit you see what's crystal clear to me and let me read verse 2 for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death what's crystal clear in the New Testament is this there must be a walking in the spirit there must be I'm not saying you have to speak in tongues 24 7 but you must be walking in the spirit that means there's no time I disconnect from God I'm walking in the Spirit. I'm listening to His voice. I'm speaking to Him. Maybe I'm just driving down the road, but I'm just talking to Him. Maybe I'm at work, but when I get just a, a, a momentary break in my thought process, I speak to Him. I'm going to be connected to Him because I need more than my own strength. Yes, I'm going to beat my body and put in subjection, but I need God's strength, and I need His anointing, and I need His empowerment, and I need His Spirit because Paul said, nevertheless, not I, but Christ that liveth in me. This is the spirit of Christ. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You need more than self-power. You need God's power. You need God's anointing. You need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in your life. Amen. And here's the thing. When you Mary, God's power in your life and God's word in your life and bring them together. It's transformation. There's a lot of churches that go to the two extremes and I've heard people try to debate them and I don't understand the debate. There's churches that they only have the word of God in them and there's no move of spirit. There's no anointing. There's no gifts of the Spirit in operation. There's no one receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost like Acts chapter 2. They just come in and they break the Word of God down word by word or phrase by phrase. And I'm, I, I love the teaching of God's Word. I love breaking it down like that. But without the empowerment of God's Word, 
or God's spirit, what you have is a dead church. No one leaves changed. And then on the other hand, you have the spirit-filled church that uh, the word of God is optional. It's secondary. I remember listening to a preacher one time, um, and he was preaching a pretty, good, pretty big conference. In, uh, well, he used to preach some big conferences in our organization, and he, he was preaching at another church. I was listening to him on, online, and he, he was talking about he went into the men's restroom, and when you press the button and you dry your hands, his whole entire message was about that experience. In fact, not one time did he open the word of God and, and even, even read a scripture. It's not shocking to me that that very specific person has walked away from God. Because it's not enough to have the anointing if it's, there's not a grounding in the word. You see, it wasn't the Spirit of God went forth upon the darkness and then everything transformed. No, the Word had to be spoken. But when you have the Spirit of God moving and then the Word of God declared, there are things that transform in your life. And so it's not one or the other, it's both. You need the Spirit of God, but you need the Word of God to to be empowered or commanded in your life over the situations of darkness and deadness. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 4 and 6, as we get to uh, get to the, the scripture I read at first. It says, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. God did it. He spoke it. He declared it. It was a prophetic word. Has shined in our heart in the same way. There's a contrast. There's a commanding of the light to shine in the hearts of you and I. To give us knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the key. Now here as I wrap this up, I want to say this. Everyone has a center in their life, their core of who they are. Everyone has a core. It's, it's, it's everything that life revolves around, your family, your, your friendships. It's, it's the thing that brings you security. It's the thing that guides you. It's your center. It's the thing that you get your source of wisdom and understanding from. It's the center that empowers you to live life and go on. Uh, just some examples. I, won't, I can't give an exhaustive list for time, but... For some people, that's money. I remember talking to a man one time in my office, and, and he was going through a hard time, and because of that, he felt like he was worth nothing. And, I, and as I was talking to this gentleman, I realized he was connecting how much money he made to how worthy he was. And I said, what do, you, what do you mean? Just because you don't have money, you don't feel like you're worth anything? My, I mean, that's a false, I mean, so I got to look at my bank account to make sure I'm worth something? Boy, that is a lie from hell, isn't it? For others, it's possessions. I've got I've to own certain things. I've got to, to have a nice car, a nice house, a new outfit. I've got to, I've got to have other things that, uh, that somebody else has. I mean, I get on Instagram and Facebook, and I see all the things that people have, and then I see the lack that I have. Man, if I just had a marriage like that person, if I just had a car like that person, if I just had a house like that, if I just had kids like those kids. I mean, my kids are terrible. Why do I have to have those terrible kids? Why can't I have those good kids? <laughs> and why, why do you think the scripture says not wise to compare yourself among you? You, you see the photo, this is the, this is the reality. I don't, I'm not on Instagram or Facebook, and I'm so thankful for that. I would never bind my life to that, those things. But you that are brave souls that do, I want to say this. 
If only they could do behind the scenes with a picture that looks so perfect. In either five minutes before or five minutes after, maybe it's even just five seconds, they're all screaming at each other. And so as you compare your life to their life, you know all the behind the scenes in your life, but you know none of the behind the scenes in their life. If only I could have that, I would be happy. It's a lie from hell. For some it's pleasure, for some it's... Some it's Maddie just texted me that she's the most perfect girl. Yes, thank you, Maddie. I wasn't speaking of you. I wasn't speaking of you. <laughs> I'm so thankful for my perfect daughter. <laughs> you just messed my whole great message up. so let me ask you this what's your center what's your center what's the thing you think you have to have to be to be happy to be full fulfilled to be what God and your own self feels like you need to be you know I heard I heard this saying once and I, I found it to be true there's never end to wants always want something Right now, I have lots of wants. And if I ever got all those wants filled, I'd still have other wants. The want box is never empty. I never want, it's like, it's like you know, the box that they use by the wall for suggestions, and you go there, the suggestion box sometimes empty, but the want box is never empty. There's always wants. You know, it's what, what, what do you think is rich? I don't know, a million dollars, five million, 50 million. You, you know, it's interesting that it's always more than you have, and yet when you attain that, it's still going to be more than you want. Yeah, you, could, you say, well, 100,000, you get there. No, that's not enough. 250, it's not enough. Million, it's not enough. Two million, five million, ten million, and all of a sudden, nothing ever satisfies. And so Jesus says, if you gain the whole world but you lose your soul, you really haven't got anything. Because you are measuring it all in the wrong way. You see, at the core of 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 apostolic Christians, it needs to be the principles and the word of God at the center of who we are. You see, my principles are in him. This is the core of my heart. I live my life to please him, not you. I li- and you don't ple- do it to, li- to please me. It doesn't matter what people think, say, or do. People are going to be mad. People are going to be angry. People are going to love you. People are going to want to be like you. There's these two extremes, but in the middle has to be that core of where I just want to please God, and I'm going to do the right thing because it's right, because it's in God's word, and God God says to do it is then I begin to apply these things in my life all of a sudden doors of blessing open all of a sudden the darkness begins to be tampered down and the joy that we so desperately want begins to manifest in our life and the hope and the life and the peace and all the things that God has for you that you really want because God put it inside of you it begins to manifest in your life And he says, I give you peace that this world doesn't understand. Why? Because I can still be walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And I still can have joy and peace. Because at the core, I'm I'm not perfect. But I'm trying my best to live for God. At my core, 
I'm trying to apply all the things that God's put in me. At the core, God knows when I wake up each and every morning, I say, God, this is in this day that you've given me. This is the day that you have made. Let me be. Let me live and do the things you want me to do today. The core, the principles of God. Would you stand with me? Before I bring us to an altar in a time of prayer, Brother Doherty needs, needs very special prayer this morning. He is, he is very sick, and he needs God to reach down and touch him this morning. So would you right now, would you, with, with all that you've got in you, would you close your eyes and lift your hands, and would you just call upon the Lord to touch Brother Doherty right now? Father, I pray right now in the name of the Lord, I loose your anointing and your power. I pray for Bishop right now in the name of Jesus. I command the sickness to leave his body, and I command the anointing of God to flow upon him. I loose your healing virtue by, our stri by your strife. We are healed, and I loose his healing virtue in his life right now. I loose your Shekinah glory. I loose the power of God by the authority of your word and by the power of the name of Jesus. We lose healing virtue to, to flow into his body right now and to transform his life from sickness to health. In the name of Jesus, let your word, let your will be established right now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 We need to keep praying for Bishop. I want to I say this as I close. At the core, this, this is what I feel. You want evening and morning at your center, at your core, needs to be God's principles. It needs to be God's words, God's teaching, God's wisdom, God's understanding, God's instructions, and you need to strive to apply them daily to your life. I don't care what the world is telling you. You get out of Facebook and get in God's book. And try to apply it every day. Live your life by doing what's right in the eyes of God. Here's what I realized that we live in a microwave society. I mean, some of us wouldn't eat if there wasn't such thing as a microwave. <laughs> but we turn that same mentality to God. I, I know I've sown all these rotten seeds, God. And I know I've been ugly and I know I haven't really done what you've asked me to do. But God, would you bless me? <laughs> and you know, God is so merciful. Sometimes he does that. We, we don't eat healthy. We eat all the junk food. I'm as guilty as anyone. And then we're sick. God, would you heal me? <laughs> and you know, sometimes God's so merciful, he does. But I'm going to tell you, when you get really into the Word of God and you begin to get God's mind, God always works on the, the farmer and the harvest. The farmer and the harvest is this. You've got to plant the right seed. And then you get a good harvest. And what I feel like God is saying to this church is this. I want to take you from evening to morning. And I've done miracles, signs, and wonders. And I'm going to continue to do them. But at some point along the way, you're going to have to plant some good seed in the ground. And you're going to have to keep doing it season, season, season. Until you get a result 
hardest. I'm going to tell you, when you get a hold of this, it changes your life. God, why? God, why? Until all of a sudden you begin to see what God's doing around you. It's incredible. I remember one time, I'll close with this, I was having a bad day with a bad attitude, right? Did you know that bad days and bad attitudes go together? Did you realize that? And this guy, and it's not only your attitude, but it's also their attitude. This guy walked into this house on his job time. This guy just yelled at me and chewed me out for no reason. I was upset. And so I told him what I thought, you know. I'll never forget this. And I was satisfied when I was done. And there was, to say a division between me and him was to uh, say it lightly. And I went back to my little corner where I was working and God spoke to me and said, wow, you handled that well, didn't you? <laughs> uh, well, God, he started it, you know. <laughs> God said, yeah, he did. Now you go apologize. I ain't apologizing, God. Nope. Go apologize. Nope. Go apologize. Nope. Nope. <laughs> God was just twisting, you know, like a mother twists the skin on a person, you know, their child until they stop. God was like, he had my shoulder just twisting that skin. Go apologize. Go apologize. I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't get away from it. So finally I go to this guy and I said, look. I said, we got off on a bad foot and I want to apologize. I shouldn't have reacted like that. And he looked at me and he chews me out again. And fire was in my eyes. You're right. You shouldn't have done it. You know. I just bit my tongue. And I just said, you're right. I'm sorry. And then all of a sudden, his demeanor changed. And he said, you know, I'm sorry too. God spoke to me as I left that encounter and said, my word always works, doesn't it? It's just you're too proud and you're too stubborn to use it sometimes, aren't you? Yeah, I am. But the question was this, do I want to work all day with this guy that I'm almost about to have a fist fight with? Or do I want to work around a guy that I can just get along with? What's better? And that is just one small example of what God wants to do in your life as you apply the seeds of his word and you water with the spirit that's moving. I'm going to tell you, God's going to turn your life upside down to the, from evening to morning. I mean, I've watched some of you walk in the church. You were in the midst of darkness. I'm just looking at Shay right now as, as she walked in the church in the darkness of her season, but God turned her from darkness into morning, darkness into light because he, she started applying God's word in her life and this is what God does. He changes the atmosphere as the dawning of the sun begins to break forth in our life. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. You know, I'm going to close with one thing. 1956, there was a, or the 50s, there was a movie you probably watched. Cecil D. Mill produced the Ten Commandments. He made this statement. He says this, he went and did a commencement speech in 1956, and he said this. He said, if, if man will not be ruled by God, he will certainly be ruled by tyrants. And there is no tyranny more 
imperious or more devastating than man's own selfishness without the law of God. Then he said this, we cannot break the Ten Commandments. We can only break ourselves against them or else by keeping them, we can rise through them to the fullness of the freedom under God. You see, God's called you to be free. He wants you to be free. My friend, make your mind up this morning. Make a commitment. I'm going to start applying God's word in my life. I'm going to get out of Facebook and get in God's book, and I'm going to start reading the Gospels and reading the Proverbs and and reading the different books of wisdom, and I'm going to start putting them in my life. I'm going to start hearing what the preacher preaches and start applying the words in my life so that I can open the door to God's blessing because God is declaring some things over your life. He's commanding light from darkness, but you're going to have to stand with Him, and you're going to have to put the Word of God and make it a living Word in your life. Declare it. Stand on it. Let it. Let it be. Let it be sprinkled with life and watered by your own decisions, so they can sprout forth and bring life. Life, life. These altars are open. Would you come this morning and find a place to pray? I want. I want you to go from darkness to light, from evening to morning. How valuable are you? I'm going to tell you. He. He died for you. He died for you. He loves you this morning. And I'm going to tell you, He doesn't want you just to be saved. He wants you to be blessed. Put your hand in His hand this morning. Open your heart and let Him reveal some truth about who you are. The truth will make you free this morning. As we begin to sing, would you just give your life to Him anew and afresh this morning? The Lord is here this morning.
Spirit.